Welcome to the Macworld Podcast, episode 453 for April 22nd, 2015. We're brought to you this week by High Five and The Great Courses. Hello, everybody. Uh, We're back again with the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld and get about around town. And I've been experiencing flooding in my house this week, but it's been completely unrelated to the sunny weather in Seattle. We'll be talking about flooding of a different kind on this episode of the Macworld Podcast. And with me as a regular, Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? I am swell. I'm suffering from allergies, which is, uh, regular listeners will know, that is, happens every week. <laughs> but, you know, we'll move on. Uh, and with us also, we have two special guests this week to help talk about photos for OS X. First up, you've heard him before, Jeff Carlson, who is a regular Macworld contributor, a prolific author, and currently at work suspiciously on a book about this subject, the photos for OS X book coming out from Peach Pit Press. Jeff Carlson, hello and welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Pleasure to have you on. And Joe Kissel, a voice you will soon be familiar with, who is also a regular contributor to Macworld and Tidbits, the author of 50 Take Control books. Oh, my God, that's a lot of books, Joe, and including the soon-to-be-released Take Control of Security for Mac Users, which is due out in the week of May 11th at TakeControlBooks.com. Hello, Mr. Kissel. Hello. It's nice to be here. Pleasure to have you on. This is great. So uh, Joe just recently wrote a uh, fact for Tidbits about photos. I'm working on a Mac 911 column. Jeff is working on a book, and Susie was sick last week. So that's <laughs> that's where we're going to go with that. Uh, well, uh, that's what we have some ringers this week to talk about the dangers of photos. But first, we're going to do a little bit of uh, follow-up and uh, news news. Um, Jeff, uh, I heard that Lightroom from Adobe, uh, in the wake of Aperture being totally gone and photos coming out, uh, Adobe's just released a new version of Lightroom. How exciting is that? Should we be excited? Yes, we should be excited because they told us to be excited. No, no. Um, <laughs> we should be excited. Yes, I'm uh, excited. There are some very interesting things. Um, it, it was just announced uh, uh, this morning. Um, and uh, for me, what I really like about this, um, which may sound sort of boring, but uh, people who have large libraries may uh, be nodding their head. Um, the new version of Lightroom, Lightroom CC, um, now incorporates uh, use of the GPU to speed up a lot of the operations. So um, especially if you have a, a more recent Mac, um, if you happen to have one of the 5K iMacs, it's it's just it's wonderfully gorgeous. Um, things get sped up, like just you know scrolling through a hundred thousand photos. Uh, you know, panning and zooming when you're when you're um, looking at things, and a lot of of the the develop operations are sped up. Uh, so that's that's sort of a real highlight for me in terms of of nifty features, because you also have to have nifty new features. What's really cool is um, if you do any HDR work um, where you're you're merging photos with with different exposures to get a a, a high dynamic range image. Um, there's now an HDR merge feature built into Lightroom. Before you had to, to round trip it out to some other program like Photoshop. Um, so it's it's built into Lightroom. You'd be like, okay, fine. They just took some code and shuffled it over. But what's really cool is that um, Lightroom is, it, if you're working with raw files, Lightroom is, is working directly with the raw files. It creates a 32-bit image and saves it as a DNG file. So not only is the entire process a little bit faster, you have 
more sort of local control over how it looks. And, and actually, the, the automatic um, toning feature, which is just, you know, a, a checkbox, it'll just, you know, run an auto uh, correction on it, um, really does a pretty good job. So that's th that's really cool. Um, a couple of other quick things. There's a um, also a, a panorama merge feature. Um, there's a new uh, uh, new additions to the slideshow tool. Um, and one thing that I really like there's a filter brush that um, if you create something like a graduated um, fill to like let's say you're going to make the the sky a little bit darker or bluer. Uh, before, if you had a mountain poking into that, you would make the top of the mountain blue and dark. So this filter brush lets you mask out areas and get a little more control, again, without having to kick it over to um, Photoshop to do stuff like that. Yeah, it sounds like it's becoming much more Photoshop-y. If I remember right, Photoshop added GPU support years ago. Yeah. And so this is a this will be much coming because uh, Lightroom has become a more capable photo, not a photo editor, but it's a photo manipulator and it needs more power. So uh, the fact that it's going to be able to take advantage of that is fantastic. I think I've been using Lightroom since three. I never got into Aperture. And now with Aperture gone and photos out, we can talk about, in just a moment, we can talk about photos, um, you know, adjustment mm -hmm. features. But uh, Lightroom is sort of owns the market, at least on the Mac, for this kind of level of uh, of use and the pricing is really it seems like it's ambitious it's targeted at more at consumers or you know maybe not even prosumers but really high-end consumers or anybody above that now it seems like yeah yeah they're they're really sort of you know trying to make a a, a big tent for it um, and what's also interesting so it's called uh, um, Lightroom CC which of course is Creative Cloud um, which means that if you have a Creative Cloud subscription which starts at ten dollars a month uh, for the the uh, most inexpensive um, range. Most that's inexpensive. A, that's a like, good way to say it. Um, <laughs> but that's the, that's the Photoshop. That's like the camera editing thing. Like so, ten dollars yeah. a month, you get yeah. Photoshop, you get Lightroom, you get some Creative Cloud storage, and something else. I think. Yeah, they yeah. call it the yeah. photography plan. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, which is great. Ten dollars a month is great. You just don't get you know like InDesign and all mm -hmm. those other ones that you get with the full right. Creative Cloud subscription. And you also don't have um, the ability to. Um, but, well, but what what is included is um, things like uh, being able to sync things to Lightroom Mobile on you know on an iPad or an iPhone or whatever. Um, but what's interesting is because I I know people are probably rolling their eyes going oh god they finally did it they finally made it uh, Creative Cloud subscription only. Uh, not entirely true. It's, they're not making a big deal of it, but you can also buy Lightroom 6, which is the same program. It just has all the Creative Cloud stuff uh, turned off. And so that is a standalone purchase. Uh, you know, you can get it in a box, I'm sure, uh, for $149. So if you just really don't want to have anything to do with the subscription model, um, here's a way to get all the features and power and all that um, just without any of the, the Creative Cloud hooks. That's fantastic. Well, I'll look forward to it. I've, I think it's become an increasingly easier to use program over the years. Um, it felt very professional and tweaky a few years ago, and now I feel like I can go in. I mean, I've learned about it, but I don't feel like I've had to have my learning curve go up as high as the program's learning curve has gone down, has put more power in my hands. Yeah, exactly. You can do a lot of stuff without feeling like, oh, God, I have to be a Photoshop expert. And you know, now... If you are a Photoshop expert and you really want to do some of the, the highly specialized things that Photoshop can do, that's great. But you don't have to, for, for I would say, you know, 80, 85% of what most photographers want to do, even, you know, professional photographers, um, can do it just right there in Lightroom. 
That's great. Uh, well, so the next item is uh, I'll be having uh, some updates on USB Type-C, USB-C soon. And uh, I'm really curious how many people bought MacBooks. Now, I know they sold at least two, <laughs> uh, three, actually, because Dan Frakes bought one uh, at Wirecutter as well. But Susie and I bought them. So we know there's three out there. But I'm curious if they wound up uh, shipping you know, like 10,000 initially, or they ship, you know, 100,000. What were the orders? Things are back-ordered. It's a very curious situation. So I don't know how much interest there is in USB-C as a practical matter, or people are waiting and watching to see, you know, as it ripens. But I have what I believe to be, Susie, I think I have the largest collection of USB-C adapters in the world in my office. Nice. Because <laughs> Apple sent some review units of their multi-port adapters that don't ship for uh, four to six weeks. Um, there must have been a production issue that didn't get them out. So we talked about that being frustrating and some timing thing off. But I have them and I've been uh, working with them. And then I've been getting uh, buying. Are they glorious? Uh, they are. Uh, they're huge. They're like you're carrying a. They look like a, so like um, a three by five floppy sticking out of the side of your computer. What's the thing, a, a manta ray? They look like a manta ray. Manta ray. They're, cool. they're so flat and wide and they have a big tail at the end. So <laughs> It's a little ridiculous, but it's also the flip side is there's a ton of functionality. So I've got one adapter with power pass through USB 3.0, uh, the 5 gigabits per second flavor of 3.1 on a type A connector and HDMI or VGA. So it actually has... Uh, all the functionality. It's like a mini port. I mean, a, a mini uh, dock. Uh, so if you need it, you've got it. It's great. So when this comes out, it'll be a difference. But I've also got uh, Ethernet adapters. I have a gigabit Ethernet adapter that works over USB 3. Uh, piles of cables. More coming. My office will be covered in them, and um, we'll be posting some reviews of that soon. Uh, one other bit of follow-up is uh, we had a lot of back and forth on Twitter about USB and target disk mode. Now, we are all veteran Mac users on this podcast. And uh, as I was asking around... Some people thought they remembered that you could do target disk mode over USB. They had some recollection. I searched, couldn't find it, and we all eventually agreed that it was never available. And Apple briefly on the website said you could do target disk mode with the MacBook. Then they said you couldn't. And then on a Saturday, this last Saturday, they updated the page, and it's really complicated. So I've got an article that will be up at Macworld soon that explains some of it. But more or less, you can't do Migration Assistant or Disk Assistant with a MacBook mounted as a target disk on any Mac except another MacBook. And it would be a little weird to be migrating from one MacBook to another right now, I suspect. So more on that. Um, Susie, you've had a week with your MacBook. We're gonna, we'll talk more about this in future weeks. But uh, do you have uh, have you made it your primary machine? Do you have any like initial quick thoughts about having spent a week working with it? Yeah, it, I haven't made it my primary machine, but I probably could. I've been doing the bulk of my work on it. I just wanted to see how quickly I could get used to the keyboard because that was a lot of people's big complaint was that love the trackpad, don't like the keyboard. Um, and at first it didn't bug me as much, but the more I use it, yeah, I, I, I do wish it had a little more travel and that's the distance that the key yeah. moves down when you press it. So it's not quite as bad as typing on something like an iPad that obviously has no travel at all. It's just a flat surface, but yeah, I don't know. So I've, I've never been like a, you know, mechanical keyboard. Some of the people here use those big mechanical keyboards that have like huge <laughs> travel and that really great clicking sound and the keys just bounce right I mean, back up and yeah. Does it sound like this? Yes, that classic <laughs> keyboard sound. 
I was never, so, you know, I never like had one of those as my main keyboard. So the people that do, like they love them and they have a trouble, you know, trouble switching to anything else. But I've always just been using the cheap, you know, scissor switch keyboards that we're all used to from Apple. And those are pretty good. So this, it wasn't as big of a change as if I had been a mechanical keyboard um, person. But yeah, I find myself like hitting them really hard to make sure they go down, which is weird because you don't have to. Like if you make your, yourself keep your hands right on the keys and you type, like you can type almost silently on this thing. It can be really quiet, but that's not how I end up using it because I just really am pounding on those things to make sure they go down the, you know, fraction of an inch that they go down. So I don't know if like another week is going to cure me of that habit, but I went from being not too annoyed by it by being a little more annoyed by it and just finding, <laughs> I like the size of the keys. I like how they don't really wiggle at all. Yeah, That's sort of nice, but but you don't notice those things as much as you notice like, wow, there's really not that much travel on here. The backlighting on the keys is really good. And of course that screen is just gorgeous. So I hear you on the travel. That's the thing. I, I think I'm getting used to it. And I type regularly in a bunch of different keyboards. I have an old Mac Alley that I use as my, my silent keyboard. It's scissor switch and it's got pretty small amount of key uh, travel. Um, but yeah, I'm not, it, I think it was Jason Snell, uh, Maybe or someone else said before they were released uh, after um, playing with one at the demo area at the announcement that it was, you know, sort of not far from an iPad, but it was still a real keyboard. And people said it was far superior to the keyboard covers on the Surface. There's a couple different kinds of those. Oh, yeah. And those are those are not exactly those are they're not even mechanical. I forget if they're mechanical, but they're not quite a keyboard. And this is definitely a keyboard, um, but it's just, it does have that feeling. I do feel more like I'm typing on glass. And uh, my, my question is, next version, maybe two, three versions away, haptic keyboard. Whole thing haptic. Oh, that would Why be need... crazy. Uh-huh. But think about it. I mean, I use the, I was showing my son, my older son, the uh, force touch, you know, thing. And I said, okay, try this. And he does. I said, it's not moving. He said, what are you talking about? And I, you know, he looked at it. We held it up. He's like, and he was sort of like, this is crazy. I'm like, I know, I know. Yeah. And it feels so good. Imagine if they could afford, I don't know what the cost would be to have that, because you'd have to have one motor under every, or actuator under every key for the specificity. Mm. But if they could do that, then you don't need uh, key switches at all. We'll see. Johnny Ive already has one, and they're all made of gold. That's right. It's in his pocket all the time. Did you call? No, it's just I'm typing in my keyboard. Uh, so, Susie, you have a, bra a bit of bragging rights. Uh, and this has nothing to do with you being the executive editor of Macworld, because you had to place an order just like everyone else for one of the Apple Watches. But I heard you got news, important news. Yeah, so I ordered an Apple Watch at midnight um, last Friday, and, you know, when they went on sale. And I got... Uh, a pop-up on my phone yesterday because I ordered it with Apple Pay inside the wonderful Apple Store app. So I got a little push notification from Apple Pay saying, hey, they just charged your your card for this this charge of several hundred dollars to Apple. So I squealed and jumped up and down and then opened, went to the Apple Store online and looked at my order and it had changed from processing to uh, preparing for shipment. So I'm no longer able to cancel or change that order because it is being boxed up and sent to me at some point. So I'm hoping that that means, like the first wave of people started getting those just yesterday. So I'm hoping that since I was in that group that it'll show up on Friday. So I'm going to make cookies for the FedEx guy and sit on my porch <laughs> on Friday just waving a little flag that says, welcome Apple Watch. So oh my gosh. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, Joe and Jeff, did you buy, you bought watches. What are you bought? I did not. You did not? Oh my gosh. No, I did not. You're not writing 50 books about taking control of your watch. 
No, you know, I'm, I, I, I hate to be the contrarian here. I, I will probably get one eventually, but it does, it, it does not solve actual problems that I have right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's money. So, um, you're destroying the economy. No, I, yeah, I, 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 I like to sort of think about, okay, you know, what problems do I have? And then what tech can I buy that solves those problems rather than, oh, shiny new gadget that I want just because it's cool. And I hope I like it and come up with things to do with it. So I, I, I know that I've, I've lost like half of my geek cred right there. <laughs> that sounds strangely reasonable. No, I think that's smart. I really do. Like this is a first gen product and no one really knows like, you know, how it's going to change people's games and next year's is going to be better. And, you know, if you decide like later and you see everyone using these apps that you like, wow, that, that would really help me out a lot, then you can always get one later. But yeah, I, if I didn't have to get one to review it, I probably would, would sit out if I was just, you know, if I wasn't doing this as a job. I absolutely think that I will get one at some point. Um, but I, I don't feel like for, you know, if, if I don't have one in May or if I have to wait till, oh my God, July or something, uh, I don't feel like my life will be, you know, less full in some way. So no, it was funny when the iPhone came out, I almost didn't buy one at launch because the lines were so huge. And then I just, I think I went to the AT&T store and, uh, because I thought it as a tech writer, I thought I could write about it. And I did, I wound up writing a ton about it initially, but I felt like I might be missing something if I didn't have one. Cause I felt like that was where everything was going apple had kind of gone all in on this new thing but they're they're all in now so it's like the watch is another iteration of what apple does as opposed to to be they're betting the entire company it's like no it could actually be a multi-billion dollar uh line of revenue for them that's great but they're not betting their future on it it's it's just a direction and we and we want to tap into it um and jeff did you uh, did you order a watch you did right i did i did and, and 42 millimeter uh, black sport band probably no no oh, what <laughs> no actually if if, if i had if i had ordered the black then uh, I probably wouldn't be getting mine till June um, I just did the the sport with the with the white band and then I actually ordered a, a black band separately because I'm not a big fan but of the white band but I wanted the the um, the polished aluminum um, and so uh, just like Susie I, I had everything all set up in in the app and on the iPhone so that um, at 1202 my fingerprint went through and it and it went and so I am also hoping that it will show up uh, on Friday you are um, writing a book on this are you not I am writing a book on this so so um, I've uh, you can actually go and buy the book right now. That it's a take control crash course on uh, the Apple Watch. Um, and what we did was we basically made um, a, a small version that has everything we knew at the time. You know, at the time, a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> and then you know anybody who who buys that gets the the expanded version once they get the watch and all that. So cool. so I have a practical reason for wanting it right away. Uh, in addition to you know it's it's neat. It's cool. Um, but, uh, I, I should also point out that, um, I didn't get the original iPhone for probably, I don't know, six or nine months after it came out because, um, I had a Palm Trio and, you know, who needed an iPhone when you got a Palm Trio that does all sorts of stuff and, of course, that didn't last very long. But well, you know, I, I went all in on the MacBook. I actually sold my MacBook Air and uh, delivered it yesterday. I sold it. Some Twitter is the new Craigslist. I've found somebody who I trust and know locally on Twitter. Never met in person. And what we did is we used Square Cash to pay, and it cracked me up. I'm like, you know, I could have done this 
20 years ago with a palm <laughs> or, or 18, 17 years ago with a palm. I had to wait 17 years to use a super expensive device to do it with Square Cash. Basically the same thing. She just, you know, she paid, we didn't tap them together. She paid her end. I could see it arrived in my account on the other and we're done. But it kind of cracked me up. I was like, oh yeah, palm with PayPal in its original form. There was the good old days. there was a there was a palm app that actually did that. I remember. Yeah, was being, it in, well, we used to pay for lunch for each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, talking about money, let's take <laughs> a break before we get into photos and talk about flooding. Uh, let's take a quick break and talk about and thank our one of our sponsors this week, High Five. So uh, I don't work in an office, but many of you, I presume, do. And if you're like many offices today, you have people all over the place. And this is true of Macworld and IDG's operations. And, and I think more and more companies have people everywhere. And using video conferencing to link yourself together is an important part of team building and discussion and conversation. You need that face-to-face -face time, even if it's virtual. So High Five is trying to solve this pain point, which is if you've used uh, Google Hangouts, which is free, or you've used Skype video, which you can pay for a small fee, uh, you might find that the service is, shall we say, not as consistent as one would enjoy for a business setting. Uh, so High Five offers teleconferencing, you know, what they used to call teleconferencing, I should say. They offer high-quality video conferencing with dedicated equipment for conference rooms and then software that people can use in other devices. They can outfit an entire conference room for just $799, which is about 120th of the cost of the older traditional video providers that used to do this. It's a one-time fee. There's no maintenance fees. Or there's no monthly overhead. The standard software is free, so every employee can use it. You're not paying a monthly fee for a web conferencing tool. So their idea is they get you set up, you get HD video, you can have up to eight participants in the meetings, and you can have those kinds of discussions without all the hassle and the stutters and the jitters of other solutions that are out there, whether they're free or fee. Uh, this is a solution in the middle that takes advantage of current technology and does not have these recurring fees. And what's even better is because you're a fine Macworld podcast listener, you can request a free 30-day trial that includes five in-room devices and unlimited software for your employees if you go to highfive.com slash Macworld. That's H-I-G-H-F-I-V-E dot com slash Macworld. You can request a free trial. They'll send the equipment out. You can set it up and see how it works for you. And if not, it doesn't. But I think it's worth a try, especially uh, the fact that there's no recurring fees. This is something that lets you get set up and go and uh, work with your virtual compatriots, wherever they may be. Uh, so thanks to High Five for being one of our sponsors this week. And now we segue nicely into photos. So uh, Apple dropped the bomb on us all. <laughs> the photo bomb. They photobombed us. Wait a minute. I see Apple uh, in the photo believe, behind us. I can't us. believe you went there. Uh, it just happens. My <laughs> dad humor for the win. Uh, so uh, so we all have uh, been working on this uh, intensively. I should say, I know Susie was sick, so you got you got to miss some of the pain. Now you can enjoy hearing uh, what you missed. Yeah, I set it up. I didn't import much, so I don't have an iPhoto library on this computer because I really hated iPhoto and I tried not to use it. So when I put photos on this computer, I didn't have, you know, a library to convert. So I just tried to drop in like, a you know, 11,000 or so photos from my Dropbox, which has been my terrible solution for storing photos. And it was like, no, no, you can't do that. That's way too many <laughs> photos. You, you, you're on a MacBook Air here. What are you thinking? So, so I just pulled in my photo stream from, from Apple. And 
Uh, it's been taking kind of forever to get all thousand most recent photos in there. But yeah, it's it's working pretty good. But I didn't have all the importing, converting issues that everyone else has been struggling with. I converted a uh, hundred gig library. I hate I photo. <laughs> I hated it also, and yet it's where we stuck all our family photos. So I had I don't know a multi ten gig library on one computer, and then a family library that had a hundred gigs. Uh, I think uh, the initial setup has been difficult for some people, and there's some confusion. Too. Joe, I know that um, one of the things that I don't feel like Apple made this very clear, even though people have multiple iPhoto libraries, it seemed to be a little confusing. So you can merge them, but there's not a tool to merge them from Apple. I mean, there's different approaches you could take to bring multiple libraries together. There, there are different approaches. So you wrote an article for Macworld about, about some of those approaches, uh, which sort of you, you do before you get into iCloud photo library. They're just, you know, you have multiple libraries and you, and you shove them together. Um, if you use iCloud photo library, this is what I wrote this big long FAQ about, um, you know, you have, let's say two Macs, they have either completely different iPhoto libraries or aperture libraries, or they're, you know, partially or even mostly overlapping. Um, and you, you, you know, import those into photos and you turn on iCloud photo library on both of those, uh, they, they just sync. Um, now there are, there are many caveats <laughs> and qualifications this week we will get into, but, um, but basically, yes, they, they merge your libraries. And after you get over that initial pain, um, uh, the, the great news is that if you had like, you know, oh, I have two Macs that I use most of the time and sometimes I import photos on one of them and sometimes I import photos on the other. And so as a result, my iPhoto libraries don't quite match. And that's a frustration. That was a frustration for me. So iCloud photo library, which is a feature of, of photos does solve that. Um, it also creates other problems. One of which is, um, I, I can sync my own Max photo libraries with each other and merge those. But if I want to bring in my wife's photo library, that's another whole story. Right. And there's there was a, a tool. Well, actually, I should say it still exists. This is one of the things I wrote about a little bit is uh, Fat Cat Software's iPhoto Library Manager. So yes, can, which I used. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that doesn't help me now. So Right. And while well, they have a new tool coming, it turns out that's going to be uh, their iPhoto Library Manager is, I think, $30 and lets you, among other things, you can merge iPhoto Library. So you could do that before you do an import. And then they've got a new tool that is called, I think it's called Power Photos. Power Photos. Photos. Oh, it's shipped. Actually, I just looked at their site. They shipped it this week already, which is pretty amazing. And so Power Photos is $20 and you get it free if you bought the iPhoto uh, library manager. Uh, and Power Photos will let you work with and merge uh, photos libraries, which is great. And probably, oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. No, I just got a correction here. It does not include merging. It does not include merging. They're thinking about adding it. So they're actually suggesting still you use iPhoto Library Manager to merge before you import. Um, but this will, the photo, the Power Photos 1.0 lets you look for duplicates and do a number of other things. But it's, so it's mm, so it's not an option for merger. So you have to figure out ahead of time. Our, our problem here is we've, we've got kids, you know. And so I take photos of the kids with my devices and my wife takes photos with her devices. And of course, we, we import those into our respective copies of photos or, or iPhoto. And but all of us, you know, everybody in the family wants all the kids' pictures. 
And so, like, you can do it, like, you can man you can use iCloud family sharing and manually take all of the pictures that you have personally imported of the kids and then stick those in the family uh, album and then they sync. But it's a real hassle. And I just, yeah, let's just, let's just share them all, you know? I but, think Apple should have been able to anticipate this library merging problem. Like, it's kind of a bummer that you need a third-party tool to do that. Apple just really refuses to sort of get out of its little its little glass box that says, actually, you know, people only use things as a single person. No, none of these family entities. Even though we did this family thing, we still sort of assume that everybody just has their own thing and nothing crosses. And it's it's that one thing that's like, okay, do they all have um, you know no children or anything like that? They are <laughs> are are they working so much that they don't get a chance to actually use this in any any sort of family setting? It feels like I've said that for a year that like Apple is like a solipsist company. Like everything is sort of about the individual, and then they play lip service to sharing and even family sharing for iOS. Right? It's it's a tool, but it's not a it doesn't do exactly what you want. And no. you'd think like so you have you have these shared uh, iCloud libraries. What am I calling them? They're iCloud shared albums. What's the name of it? iCloud like? photo sharing. Yes. Uh, no, sh- shared. Shared photo, photo stream. stream. There we go. Not yeah. photo. Sh- no, no, not photo stream. But no, the no. other other feature. Shared, shared photo stream. iCloud photo sharing. Oh. That's yeah. what it's called. Because well, we should talk about this. So okay, so <laughs> you've got three kinds of iCloud <laughs> things. Now you've got you had my photo stream has existed for a while. You have iCloud photo sharing. And then you also have iCloud Photo Library. So iCloud Photo Library is you're syncing all your stuff to the cloud, and then you can get low-res or full-resolution versions to all of your devices. Yes. Uh, but the high-res versions live in the cloud. My Photo Stream is the old thing, but that still works. You can still use that, right? <laughs> so there's, yeah, but that's, and that's a limited number of photos, like a subset of photos, most recent. Uh, but you can use that without having to opt into iCloud Photo Library. You can still get some of the benefits of iCloud. I've, I've seen that. And then iCloud Photo Sharing is ostensibly this way that you share with other people, but you can't create pooled sharing. That's what we're talking about, really, is I can't say, uh, you know, Joe and Morgan, we can't actually have uh, these together. You have to have separate libraries. Actually, with, with those, you can, yeah. as, as I'm grabbing my, my phone to double check, because... They're basically shared photo streams. Yeah. Can you pool photos with other people into one yes. album yes. or thing? Yes, yes, you can. Oh, my God, I didn't even realize you could do that. You can create a shared album, and then you invite people to that album, and they can look at them, comment, heart, but they can also add new stuff. They can add okay, new photos and right. videos. So if you had one shared one that was of your kids, like you and your spouse. The, the only downside, which is which is true of family sharing as well, is each participant has to, has to manually say, I want these photos to go in this thing. Right, so it seems like a big failing is that, like, so if you wanted to say, uh, you know, me and my wife and uh, their aunt, you know, the aunt and uncle, we're all going to stick our stuff as it goes, you know, or things we label or whatever. There's no automatic way to flow things into some group setting. And this is one of the reasons that some people used, uh, you know, shared iCloud accounts with each other. So, right. which is is awful in a number of ways, but it it was a solution to that problem. Or you could just say, hey, I have multiple iCloud accounts and I have one just for myself and I have another that is just for my family to share, you know, contacts and photos and a few other awkward things. Um, okay. But it's not, it, oh man, it's, it's 2015. For crying out loud, Apple really needs to get on the ball. You know, I should say, I want to say one thing because I realized we were going to heap criticism on the things that we're having trouble with, right? But um, I also, uh, the serendipity of it is fantastic. Like, I'm finding it's so much faster. It's so much 
better organized uh, chronologically. Everything about it is kind of nicer um, that I'm finding photos surfacing I haven't looked at in years. And as an application on its own, it's pretty good, especially for a 1.0 release. I think it's pretty great. What we're really, most of the issues we're going to talk about have to do with with sort of syncing and transition and migrating and merging and, you know, uploading. But um, but I should, should say, like, we're and I don't know, I love everyone's take. Like as an app, I'm actually relatively pleased with it as a iPhoto replacement because of sort of how horrible performance and functionality and stability was in iPhoto as well. Well, I agree with that. I, it's it's less horrible than iPhoto. <laughs> <laughs> you want know, right. right. everything in there and like the I like the edits, I like the sharing, I like the projects. Like once you get everything in there, the interface has been smooth for me. Yeah, it's just getting everything in there and figuring out like where the photos are going, where they're coming from, how you know, like how you're going to share them with well, family. And we know they're committed to this. It's a new code base. It's a 1.0 release. This is their direction forward. So we have some confidence that they might actually work on it too. Oh, they'd better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I just want to make sure we had some, you know, some praise for what we like about it. So, you know, I've been getting tons of questions. And Joe, I know you answered some of those uh, already. And we're going we're gonna to have uh, repeats here. But let's talk about, um, I mean, your fact. But uh, uh, Jeff, here's a question I think specifically for you, because I know you've investigated this already. Uh, events, albums, smart albums, uh, moments, a lot of people transitioning from iPhoto are going to be confused. I was. I was text messaging you saying, where did all my events go? And you're like, there's a special album. Like, ah. So, so what is the transition? So how do we think about things in iPhoto, how we tag and group things, and how are we doing those now and what came over to photos? So, so the, the uh, two parts of that. One, the, the sort of strange thing is um, if you've been using photos much on an iOS device, you're going to be a little more familiar with it than if you if you haven't, because they've really modeled a lot of the um, a lot of the behavior there, especially like you know doing um, collections and year view and all that stuff. Um, things to keep in mind when you're bringing uh, when you're converting an iPhoto library, um, a lot of it is actually very similar. It just doesn't look like it. The, mm. the, the default photos of you um, is, is broken down in this sort of um, sort of a top-down view. So you can like see everything going on in a year and then you, you drill down a couple layers so that you can get to a, a particular photo. Um, oh, can I jump in one second? The other do. thing is the first time you launch photos, you think Apple took away functionality. Then you realize there's an option view Sidebar, <laughs> show sidebar. When you show it, like, oh, okay. And it's a little more relaxing because I think- Kind of like iTunes. Yeah, yes. Exa yeah, yes. exactly. I mean, so for a new user, someone who has an iOS device and comes to photos for OS ten, not having the sidebar is possibly okay. They may not be looking for it. It may not be something they care about. Coming from iPhoto, I felt like I was- I had lost a piece of my head for a moment. And I was like, oh, okay, that helps me. Yeah, yeah. And and also, um, I think we should probably mention this maybe four times before the end of the podcast, <laughs> b because people keep asking about it. Um, with Photos for OS ten, you do not need to use iCloud Photo Library at all. Like, um, for, for, for some reason, there was an initial idea that, that everything had to go to iCloud. Everything was going to be stored in iCloud. And that's uh, just, you know, to to relieve anybody listening here who, who's like, but I only have a satellite internet connection that, you know, 
doesn't have any bandwidth at all. Um, I can say that because that's that's my mom's that's connection. Mom, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, you don't have to use it at all. So you know, if if you have done nothing, you know, with iCloud or anything, that's that's totally fine. For that matter, if you if you really like iPhoto or Aperture and you have them installed already, you can keep using them for now. Um, yeah. If you're, you're even though you upgrade to ten point ten point three, you're not obligated to use Photos at all. Holy cow! I have a tip there. I heard from multiple people on Twitter after they installed Photos, iPhoto disappeared. And for some people, I think it's it went off the dock. In other cases, they could not find the app on their computer, which I don't think that was intended at all. One person upgraded to Yosemite, and then they could not update. They got photos, and then they could not update iPhoto. It refused to update iPhoto to Yosemite-compatible version. I told them, delete iPhoto, then go to the Mac App Store, go to Purchases, and re-download iPhoto, they were able to do that, and it gave them the up-to-date version, and then they could run iPhoto. So there is some confusion. Like, Photos does not or should not be deleting iPhoto or Aperture, uh, but if it does, you can re-download it uh, from the Mac App Store. Yeah, that, that, that happened with me when I was upgrading my wife's computer uh, because she had an earlier version of iPhoto, not the, the – it was like maybe nine oh. months out of date or something. And I updated it to 10.10.3, um, actually updated her to Yosemite because she was very much like, don't change anything unless you absolutely <laughs> have to. Um, and so uh, uh, when I um, was on 10.10.3 – um, iPhoto was there, but it had the little um, crossbar through it saying that it, that it couldn't even run. And so um, I, I ran into that same thing, you know, went to the update, uh, software update, and, uh, you know, click the update button, and it just, it's gray and doesn't do anything. So um, d deleting that app and then, and then re-downloading is the key. So. Well, so I, I interrupt you in the middle of this discussion. So, the, so I, iPhoto organized into events albums, smart albums, maybe some other stuff. And then we have a different organizing philosophy in photos. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's sort of a, a parallel organizing philosophy. So all of your, your um, albums and smart albums, they, they come over. So you're not going to lose anything there. Um, events are turned into albums. And um, what, what is, um, I think, confusing and uh, for a lot of people is that the events show up in a folder and they don't really have like a good terminology for the folder. It's a folder called uh, iPhoto event. So like that might also be hidden at first. Um, <laughs> but like like that that structure is all there. And you know, if if you have built something around that structure, you can keep doing that. That's that that's totally fine. Um, the the default way of, of of looking at it is just looking through the quote unquote photos view, which has you know uh, moments and collections as, as you're zooming in. Um, I should also point out because it's still also confusing. Um, in the the moments and the collections uh, views, um, you'll notice like a bunch of thumbnails uh, of your images, and it'll say like where they were taken and when they were taken. Well. It's almost impossible to tell this, but if you click the, the, that, that little um, subheading there, it'll take you to the map. So anything that's been geotagged will show up. And th this is the same on iOS that, that is sort of perplexing because you know th there's nothing that says, here is a map so you can see where your geotagged photos are. Um, you have to sort of know this little secret way in. And 
Um, one, what, what, Wait, say that help me that again. Okay, I'm not. I I found this by accident. And I'm not following again. Yeah, I've okay. Got it open so, now, or is it? So, so <laughs> we're all gonna do it. Everyone at home. Everybody home. Set the oven to 400 degrees. <laughs> put your photos in, and then. Okay, so um, let's say you were looking at the um, the moments view, which I think is the default. So, right. so what you'll will see are a whole bunch of of your thumbnails, and um, oh. photos breaks it out. Roughly by by date, um, oh, I see it's all this chronological. Now. So, yeah. so like a, for, for example, I have um, I, I'm looking at something here. Um, we were in Portland a few weeks ago, and so I see it says Portland Knob Hill um, has a, a couple of addresses, February fifteenth. Um, if you click that that those words, it doesn't even look like a button. Then you're taken to the map, which will show you. The locations of any photos that that were geotagged, basically anything that that you know you shot with with your iPhone. Oh, um, that's great! But you have to click the name. You click the location name, and then the you location. get to see. Yeah. So when yeah. I click that, I'm only seeing the photos that have that location name. I don't know how to see the map that has everything. You, there's no way to see a map that has everything. That's a bummer. I know. This yeah. is the thing. It's like it's very de-emphasized geotagging well, you in can, this release. You can zoom out. I think. Yeah, it when I zoom show out, you photos it just, it that group, still though. keeps those. Oh yeah. yeah, it's it's only yep. the selected. Yep. So you can you have to go. So like if I zoom, if I yeah, um, right. I can go back. So if you go to entire year, so I'm looking at my 2013 moments, and it says Hawaii, California, and Washington. I guess that's the only places I took photos in 2013 <laughs> that are geotagged. And if I click that, then I actually get yep. all the geotagged photos for that entire year. Although it's only 118 so far, um, and like you know, a different year I've got Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, and New York. So, it, but you have to, yeah. It doesn't let you slice by geography; it only lets you slice by time, and then shows you the view into geography there. This yeah. this whole UI is like a new low in lack of affordances. I mean, mm, you have nice you have to you have to give yeah. users a clue that something is potentially clickable or like yeah. how will you ever know i mean it's cool yeah, that you can do this but i would have never discovered that there's a very tiny little greater than uh uh arrow carrot thing at the end of of the the uh, <laughs> uh place name which is you know i guess it's a button um and let me just you know blow your brains just a, a slightly bit more when it comes to to geotagging um in this 1.0 version there's no way for you to manually geotag anything. So let's say you shot, you know, uh, 50 photos in Portland with your DSLR, and you have, you know, 20 photos that you shot with your your iPhone. Only the ones with the iPhone that were tagged when they were shot, only those will show up on the map. And I know you can't edit them once they're imported. You, you can't, can't add them anyway. Yeah, you can't say, you know, oh, okay, take this location and apply it to these photos, or take these photos and <laughs> drop, you know, drop them onto the map. Well, you can't do that because when you're looking at the map, you're only looking at the things that are already geotagged. So right. um, wait one moment. We have to blow your mind with something else because we need to thank another one of our sponsors before we go on. All right, hang we're on. Gonna blow, we're going to blow mind, your mind. Hold in mind. <laughs> okay, this is going to blow your mind because it expands your mind. Susie, can you tell us about another of this week's sponsors, The Great Courses? Yeah, The Great Courses is for lifelong learners like all of us, only, you know, they make things a little clear. <laughs> they don't just hide new features everywhere. So The Great Courses is a, a way for you to learn new stuff 
um, with your computer or your iPhone or whatever device you like the best because they offer both video and audio courses on a huge variety of subjects. They have 500 courses. It's like taking a college class. There's science, math, history, art, music, philosophy. The one I've been taking is called Understanding Investments. It's by Connell Follenkamp from Duke University. So they have, you know, pros doing this. And then um, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, but the thing I want to emphasize this week that I've been noticing as I continue to learn more about investments is um, the quality of these are really good. So a lot of times when you go online to learn something, you'll end up at, you know, YouTube and you'll see some teenager sitting in front of a webcam trying to explain to you, you know, how to make do a cute braid in your hair or something and then if you go a little further um, you know, you find like a lot of screencasts that you know, show if, if you're trying to learn something about your computer, you'll find screencasts that just show you a screen and have someone kind of talking to you. These are so much different than that. These are very professional. It's like you're sitting in a lecture hall listening to somebody talk to you, but it's multi-camera. It's got great audio. And so they're, they're very polished. And if you don't want to be chained to your computer or your device watching videos, they're also available as audio courses, which is great for, you know, commuting if you're, um, uh, yeah, I've been playing them in my car um, when I'm trying to fall asleep. So, so that's really convenient. And um, it's their 25th anniversary. So they've been doing this for a while. They've got them really, really polished. And they have a special offer to celebrate their anniversary um, for Macworld listeners. They're offering eight of their best-selling courses, including Understanding Investments, which is really helpful. Um, and those, those are being offered at up to 80% off the original price. That's for a limited time. So to get that, you would go to thegreatcourses.com slash Macworld. It's all spelled out, thegreatcourses.com slash Macworld. And check them out. See if there's something there that you would like to learn. And if there's something there that, you know, tickles your your brain pan, I would encourage you to check them out because they're, they're just done really, really well. And the lectures, it's the, this understanding investments lecture that I've been watching has 10 different chapters. Um, so it... it it, it goes from the basics to a very deep dive. So you'll learn everything about bonds, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds. And even if you think you know, you know a lot about investing, there, there's definitely you know, more that you can find out. And The Great Courses is a great way to do that. So check them out at thegreatcourses.com slash Macworld. And we'd like to thank them for supporting the Macworld podcast. Awesome. And <clears throat> my brain is now uh, so full, so expanded. <laughs> From that, but we have to get back to this is the nitty gritty. As uh, I think, uh, Jeff, do you feel like you've covered? Uh, we talked about albums. I want to talk about sync and bandwidth and so forth. So yeah, we'll, uh, we, could, just, we figured this could be a seven-hour podcast. <laughs> just talking about the issues, but I'll just say one last thing. Um, people converting uh, should know that um, uh, one thing that does not carry over directly are uh, star ratings, which I think even for people who probably don't do any keywords or, or any other type of management, they probably did some star rating to, to pick out you know good, good photos, bad photos. Um, but even saying that, it's not completely gone. What, what photos does is it converts star ratings to a keyword. And so there's a way that you can uh, you know still pull up all of your you know uh, four star rated, uh, photos, uh, you know, you, you can build uh, smart albums based on that information. So, you know, 
again, another example of the functionalities there kind of in a slightly different way, but of course it's hidden. So, oh, um, you know. There's one thing, Aperture, I've gotten to me from Aperture users and seen a lot of tweets about this. There's something about what doesn't come in from Aperture. Is there some metadata that's missing there too, isn't there? Yeah, sort of. Uh, um, if you created a, a custom field, custom meta, metadata field, um, that just gets gets dumped. Um, the the EXIF metadata that the, the camera creates, um, th that all stays intact with the photos, but not all of it is exposed in in photos in the the info pane. So um, you know, if you were to to open an image in uh, the preview application, you can view all that, which is sort of crazy to say, but oh um, but you know, and you know that. Uh, it doesn't bother me as much, and maybe I, I'm being too generous, um, because you know Apple is really aiming this at the 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 iPhoto user, um, and it that also really seems like something that was probably you know kicked to the next release just because you know they had to meet a shipping date. Oh, but the data is still there, so it's not destroy. It's not destructive. It's still in the photo that's imported. Exactly. Okay, so then, so that, some of this can be fixed uh, by enhancing a new release. So that's that's good. The destructive part is the thing that would worry me. It's like the card catalog conversion when uh, paper catalogs were converted and just tons of useful information gathered over decades or generations were thrown away because they didn't have room for the fields and they shredded the cards. Uh, let's move on to sync because I think sync is um, a big thing, and uh, so we can have a uh, Joe and I can have a. Uh, Kind of Jane Curtin uh, situation. Joe, you ignorant sink. Um, <laughs> just, the, uh, just get it all out, guys. That's all. So, uh, so let, I'll just think. The philosophy is that if you turn on iCloud Photo Library, which, as we've said, this is now iteration number two to remind people you don't have to use iCloud Photo Library uh, or any kind of sync. It's a. Uh, I've always felt that Apple has had this um, sync versus cloud mentality. So a lot of sites, and I would say Dropbox is sort of a good example of this at some level. Uh, Dropbox says we're the central repository and then you can access that and you can selectively sync folders. The default is everything to every computer that's connected, but you can choose specific folders. And when you're using an, an iOS or Android or other device with Dropbox, you view files and you can choose to store some locally. And that's the default mode. Apple is much more, I'm going to push everything everywhere and everything's going to sync together. So they're more of a hub with a backup as opposed to uh, like the repository. And so I turned on iCloud Photo Library and my then 256 gig uh, MacBook Air completely filled. I suddenly had 100% disk. Oh, now I've got a 500 gig drive, so I'm in better shape. But so I feel like there's – I'm not sure that uh, that sync by default is the best option. Joe, you have uh, different opinions and, and provisos about uh, about this. Yeah. So, so first I'll say about your situation. Um, there There is this option – to not download, well, there, there is an option to, to use optimized versions of your photos. So what this means is if it's, if it's working correctly, you have many gigabytes of photos in the cloud, you turn on iCloud Photo Library, and Photos notices that you're running out of space on your Mac, and so uh, for some of them, it doesn't download the full resolution versions. It downloads just sort of low-res thumbnails. And then if you want to actually edit it or share it or something, then then it'll download uh, the full-res version. Um, so that, that option does exist. 
except that it's only on or off and you have no visibility or control. So you can't say, hey, photos, be sure to leave me at least 40 gigabytes on my SSD or whatever. No, it's just, it, it decides, you know? So if it decides, oh, I think one gigabyte is probably enough free space for you. Um, you still have some and we really want to get you all of your photos, then it will do that. Um, and so this this is sort of, an example of a theme of things that I don't like about iPhoto Library, which it like I and in, I have to I have to reiterate in general I do like it. I'm glad to have it. I'm glad that at least my Macs can sync their photo libraries and my iOS devices with each other now. But the the process does not let you see what's happening. Um, what I found and what Jason Snell found and other people is hey turn on iCloud I Photo Library and all of a sudden hey wait a minute. Why has my bandwidth slowed to a crawl? And and why why am I getting nasty notices from my ISP that I've blown up my monthly uh, you know data cap? Well, it it just it just says, hey, uh, the the switch is on, so let's start uploading or let's start downloading, and it just goes, and um, <clears throat> it'll tell you if you know where to look. Oh, I have X number of photos remaining to upload or download, but you can't. You can't tell, is it is it trying to upload a duplicate? Um, you can't slow it down. You can pause it for a day, but that's about it. You can't, it gives you no visibility into what's actually happening and how it's using your bandwidth. It doesn't let you throttle it or, or do anything else useful. And um, so- yeah, That's it, my call forward earlier to flooding is, I, it, I compare it to a, a, a distributed denial of service attack. It has the same feeling, or I mean, just a regular DOS, the same feeling as if my network is being attacked. And even though I knew this was going on and I've been pausing it manually every morning, I forgot to do that on Saturday morning. I spent an hour troubleshooting my network connection totally. I thought it was Comcast, I isolated things. I'm like, this is weird. If I plug in directly to the Comcast modem, it's fine. Once I plug the network in, it doesn't work. And then I realized, oh, it had started up again. The other hidden thing, I had uh, one reader uh, write me in Twitter and say, look, I've been digging around and I found this daemon that runs like Photos D or something or iCloud. There's, there's some background processes. When you run Photos, it sets up background processes, which is a very Apple thing to do. It's a modern thing. iPhoto only did certain things when it was launched. I think it had some background, but not much I, uh, uh Photos has lots of background things that happen now. So if you quit Photos, it doesn't stop syncing because it's got automatic background demons working. So you might think quitting would stop syncing. No, you actually have to open Photos and disable in preferences under iCloud. You have to turn off iCloud Photo Library to actually fully prevent any synchronization from happening. And that doesn't damage anything. It won't delete anything. In fact, uh, it's it's even a little bit weirder than that mm. um, because I was trying to test this. I was trying to figure out exactly under what circumstances does syncing start and stop. So I had like one test Mac with just a very small iPhoto library on it. Uh, that I converted to, to photos and I'm like, I'm turning things on and off and I'm watching network activity very carefully in activity monitor. And I, I, I did all these tests that, that convinced me, okay, definitely it is true that when you quit photos, um, the transfers stop. But then Jason Snell said, oh no, 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 that's not no. the case. <laughs> so I did further tests and I discovered that on my computers at least, yeah. um, when photos is not running, downloads do stop, but uploads don't. Oh. 
Yes. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so the, the one Mac that I was, the, was my initial test case had almost nothing locally. It was just downloading stuff and the downloading did stop. So that was fine. But another Mac had a huge library locally and almost nothing in the cloud and it continued to upload. So again, it's just this question of... Uh, how can I tell what's going on? Most people would never be able to figure this out um, because there's nothing telling you what is happening or what has recently happened. And uh, it's it's pretty nasty. Well, I just, I've had a story that went up on Macworld on Tuesday about, you know, the issue of it's a general problem, but most other companies have solved it. This, how do you seed the cloud? And I mean, it's, I'm being joking with terminology, I'm using an analogy, but it's true is how do you put, uh, you know, the, your first hundred gigs or 10 gigs when most people have somewhere between, um, well, the FCC just redefined broadband. It's in January. It's 25 megabits per second down, three megabits per second up. So they're saying, and I think they say it's something like 84% of Americans with broadband meet that definition or with, you know, internet service, meet that definition. So that's saying that 84% of Americans have maybe no more than three megabits per second up. Maybe they have five or, or whatever. And even if you're trying to upload 10 gigabytes, even then you could wind up with your network in bad shape for days or a week. I have 100 gigabytes and it's going to take, uh, even though it's optimized and photos deduplicates, uh, you know, it uses signatures and so forth to attempt to do that. Uh, it's that it's other, you know, Dropbox does not flood my network. When I put a gigabyte file uh, uh, in my Dropbox folder, my network doesn't become unusable. When I use CrashPlan, when people use Backblaze, my network does not become unusable. So, uh, you know, I had this funny idea. I was thinking Apple should install, you know, 10 gigabit Ethernet or internet into all its stores, and you just go there and plug in and like upload your libraries. I'll just come in for you know use my uh, super high speed 802.11 AC or my gigabit Ethernet port, plug into a dedicated upload station, and you know transfer it that way. Why not? I mean, there's no reason not to. They have the stores. It's just not something they. It doesn't match, I guess, how they think about how people are using this, even though it's a problem for everybody. I can't imagine this isn't happening to you know tens, hundreds of thousands of people. All of a sudden, they're saying, "Well, I have I turned on this switch, and all of a sudden, my internet stopped working. And how do I even figure out why? I I can't imagine that there's not a huge public outcry about this. This is probably where I should jump in and say, um, either it's not happening to me, or I've not noticed it, um, which of course makes everything even more bizarre. Um, I have you know a, a Comcast cable modem, um, and I've. I've not experienced any of that that sense of oh my gosh everything is completely stopped um, on my network. I have no idea why. the 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 problems that I had were more like, hey, it looks like it's been trying to upload 127 photos for 10 hours and doesn't do anything. I wonder if that's why you're not having problems. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you don't have that many photos to start with, do you, Jeff? So uh, I, I have 12. <laughs> uh, well, and Joe, you said, so are you, uh, what's your uh, ISP down there in San Diego? Uh, I use Cox and, and I've, they I've give got you caps, Co Cox caps. Yes. Well, you know, I have their highest tier of consumer, uh, service and I get like, you know, 150 megabit, uh, service and like the, the speed is totally fine, but, um, I get, I have a 400 gigabyte, uh, bandwidth cap. So, um, you know, my iPhoto library is 145 gigs, so there's a problem right there. Um, you know, it, like, it was like literally, I like I check my, have a little meter that, that I can see, you know, how much bandwidth have you used so far this month. And I 
I looked one day and the previous day I had blown out 50% of my entire monthly allotment because not only did my photos upload from one Mac, they also right. downloaded onto right. other iOS devices. Yeah, there's no LAN sync. There's no local area network sync. This is another point I raised in the article is Dropbox does it and not sure. Dropbox does and some other iCloud features do it too. Mm -hmm. They don't do computer to computer local network sync. So your every photo that you upload has to be downloaded to every other machine that's logged into the same iCloud account and has iCloud photo library enabled, which is an absurd waste of bandwidth. You'd think this is, you know, I was I was joking. It's like most of the Apple people working on this are in the Bay Area. The Bay Area is, Susie, you can testify, right? The Bay Area is terrible connectivity. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like, do all Apple people working on this have uh, fiber to their house and they don't realize that? This is a problem. Something is weird in them not anticipating this during testing because you'd think they would have actually seen this and gone, oh, oh, wow, we got to do something. Uh, well, uh, again, we have seven more hours of this to go. So let's move on. <laughs> this is part one of 17. So, um, the, you know, the solution, by the way, so the solution for this problem, of course, is you have to actually literally disable iCloud Photo Library. Uh, you can pause. There's a pause button in Preferences in Photos that uh, lets you pause for a one day at a time. One day at a time. Sorry, old person. I have to sing that song. Uh, and yeah, I know. Terrible. You can pause it and you can resume it. But after a day, it will meet uh, 24 hours later on the dot. It'll start up again. And if photos, so as Joe's discovered, if you've quit photos, it won't continue to download because that would modify the library and the software needs to be open, but it will continue to upload and you will have this problem if you've been seeing it before. So you actually have to disable iCloud photo library in preferences in photos in the iCloud tab, and then you can re-enable it when you want to. And that's, I've been basically doing that at night where I enable it before I go to sleep and I disable it in the morning and gradually uh, getting my photos library synced. Um, Jeff, now you're a, a longtime photo manipulation person. You are a photo editor and photographer. It makes me sound like uh, a spy. <laughs> you are, you manipulate photos for money. Tell me what that's like. What do you work for? And um, the editing features, I think let's, maybe we should finish on uh, on um, editing because I think that's a great subject. Uh, they, so this is no, photos is no aperture and it's no Lightroom, but it does have a different set of features and a, it seems to be a different approach than iPhoto did. How do you feel about its editing controls versus a pro tool and, and maybe even also versus what iPhoto offered? I, I actually like the editing controls for the most part. Um, you know, um, what you you don't have um, are local, uh, sorry, not, not local, but like localized uh, edits. So there's no way to say, um, I want to make someone's face a little bit brighter. Um, you, you have to apply the adjustment to the entire image, um, which is actually something that, that Apple put into the iPhoto for iOS app, um, which sort of surprises me because they, they have the means to do it and then they killed that app um, because Apple. Um, but, you know, actually, like I, I, was, I was pretty impressed with the, with the, the editing tools. Um, they they managed to sort of uh, you know walk that line of you can do really basic things if you have no interest in you know pushing sliders and, and getting really really detailed um, you know the they have filters and they have you know sort of a, a one click enhance but even the adjustment tools uh, it, there's a clever way of, of having like like one big slider, like like one big light slider, um, where you can just say you know make it brighter, make it darker. And what's interesting when you look at at the the breakdown of those different controls underneath it, um, there's a little uh, carrot 
um, arrow thing that, of course, is hidden until you move your mouse over it. Yes, um, right. <laughs> Hover over and uh, it appears. Exactly. Um, in order to use any Apple software these days, you have to, to your mouse has to go over every pixel of the screen first to find everything. It's kind of true. Um, <laughs> anyway, so if you if you do that um, with with those those uh, breakdown uh, tools exposed, you'll see that that it's not just like say you know um, pushing the exposure up automatically to make things bright. In fact, uh, on on an image that I'm I'm doing right here, I just moved the light slider about. Uh, you know, let's say to the 75% range to make it brighter, and the exposure actually went down um, because w what it's doing is it's looking at the, the entire image, and so um, it, it reduced the exposure, it pulled back the highlights a bit so you wouldn't have any spots that are just blown out in white, and then it brought up the shadows and the brightness and the and, and the contrast and black point a bit. So that's a very long way of saying uh, it's it's doing smart adjustments and then you still also have the ability to to go in and, and tweak those things which um, you know I think for even in something like like Lightroom or aperture you know a lot of what people were doing were was basically that so it's 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 really nice um, my my small complaint is that um, at the top it says adjustments and then there's a little blue, text that says add yes okay i like adding <laughs> adding's great and you do that and then you see there are a bunch more controls like sharpen and definition and noise reduction and vignette so you know heaven forbid we should uh overwhelm somebody with with controls and i i i get it um but it, it seems like too often it's it it goes in, in in the other simple direction. Oh, one last thing: the the, the retouch tool is actually very clever because um, you can either use it to to just like like paint over an area and have it get fixed, or um, you can use it as a clone tool where you option click to specify um, a, a source and then and then paint over basically copy that section. Uh, what's neat is that in most other programs th that's two separate tools. And here, Apple's like, oh, no, just hold down Option, and it switches, and it works. So that's that's it's, actually nice. It's pretty good. You can get rid of freckles. if you. I like freckles, but you can get rid of them very easily yeah, why on faces. Yeah, why do you freckles? <laughs> uh, the other thing to uh, mention, I, I forget, I mean, you want to brought this up uh, at some point in the past, or the past, in the past week or so, is that uh, edits are synchronized through iCloud Photo Library. So you, re you retain the original and then the edits that you applied, except... <laughs> when you sync to iOS, right? So I edit a photo in Photos yes. uh, OS ten. The photo in on iOS looks like what? Um, the photo that appears in iOS uh, will look as you adjusted it. So let's say you made something uh, black and white. That will show up there. Um, what's nice is that it's not just replacing that with the new black and white version. You can on your iOS device, you can uh, revert back to the original if you want to try something something different. Um, what it doesn't do, and I think it's because they're using uh, two different actual um, adjustment models here, um, what, what it doesn't do is let you, say, tap edit on your iPhone and be able to go back in and tweak the, the, the smaller adjustments. If your, your option is basically to you know, take it as it is, um, edit that, from that point on, right, or revert and just start over. So it's Which like, is, yeah, it's not perfect. So because you it's can get all it's the, like mostly there. 
Yeah, it's interesting because it's a missing piece. But so, well, uh, you know, so let's let's sum up because, uh, like I say, this is it's <laughs> it's funny. It's one of the most frustrating new pieces of software because I think it has an enormous amount of potential and it has a lot of great new features and it's really enjoyable to use once you're set up. And it's but, fast. Um, yeah, but I feel like I'm wrestling an octopus. I don't know about you guys. It's I'm waiting for the octopus to calm down and go to sleep. You're wrestling an octopus that you can't see that's somewhere up in the sky. <laughs> that Photos. I'm wrestling an invisible sky octopus. That that's occasionally cool. comes into your house and eats all your food. Wrestling an invisible hungry sky octopus. I think we just found a, the podcast title. <laughs> that's the title of the podcast. Uh, Joe, what, how about some, you have some summary thoughts about this as we're moving forward? What do you hope for from this? Uh, how you're coping? Provisionally happy. I mean, I it may have sounded for this entire podcast that I'm unhappy. Actually, I'm not <laughs> unhappy. I'm I'm a little bit irritated that you know Apple could have done a better job at explaining things and, and you know giving control. But I'm I am actually very very happy that all all of my own devices have the same photos on them. That's a useful thing for me. Um, and I'm getting used to the weirdnesses of photos uh, interface. Um, I, I only hope that in the future um, I will be able to expand this to doing things like syncing with other family members uh, in, in, in an automated way and uh, having more control over or what happens when. And Susie, uh, you and I have been tracking a lot of Apple stuff lately where we feel like the fit and finish on the software side in particular is maybe a little off. Do you hope Apple is going to continue to perhaps update and improve this software over time? I think they definitely will. I mean, this is this is 1.0. It's pretty solid for 1.0. It has a lot of good yeah. points. Um, yeah, the importing, the merging, and the uploading to iCloud, a lot of those things really need further optimization or at least better explanation to people as you know what they need to do to fit their situation because not everyone's situation is you know Apple's dream scenario if, if, if you follow their path it's it's smooth sailing but if you're like well my MacBook has a small hard drive I have a lot of photos I don't want to pay for iCloud storage you have to kind of you know engineer your own your own workarounds. So so yeah, they I think it needs more explanation. But yeah, they're gonna they're gonna keep updating it. This is their new their new solution, and it works across platforms. So yeah, it's gonna keep getting better. But it, what's here is pretty solid already. I already like it a lot better than iPhoto. Yeah, I think I think we all sound negative because we've been wrestling with it. But it's I, it's I've discovered I was posting photos on Twitter and Facebook that I found. When I'm like, uh, you know, especially if all of us have children, so you sit, find your children at young, you find baby pictures and pregnancy photos and uh, videos of things you forgot, and you're like, oh, you know. So that that part, the rediscovery, I didn't realize how much iPhoto, it was so difficult and slow and crashy that I'd stopped using it except when I had to to import stuff, and so I'd completely forgotten the discovery aspect. And photos let me read discover that. So that's that's lovely. Uh, well, thank you all for joining. We've had Jeff Carlson, who is currently at work on the photos for OS X book for Peach Pit Press, which you can find there. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff Carlson. That's Carlson with an O. Joe Kissel, thanks for joining us. The author of the soon-to-be-released Take Control of Security for Mac users, which you will be able to find in about two weeks or so at TakeControlBooks.com. And he's on Twitter at Joe Kissel. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you very much. And Susie, a delight as always to talk with you. And uh, we will talk about MacBooks and other things next week. So thanks, thanks for joining me. Great. Yeah, thank you. 
Well, I should I should thank you for having me on. We're <laughs> <laughs> co-hosting And thanks also to <laughs> thank you. And uh, thanks also this week to our sponsors, High Five and the Great Courses. Remember, you can get discounts and other uh, trial information by using our codes. This has been the MacWorld Podcast, episode four hundred and fifty-three for April twenty-second, two thousand and fifteen. Thanks for joining us, and email us at podcast at macworld.com with your questions, and we'll be back to talk with you again next week. <laughs>